a woman walks into an expensive jeweler's and hands over her watch. She says, I'd like a replacement battery, please. And the guy behind the counter says, uh, Madam, is that a genuine Rolex? And she says, of course it is. He says, Madam, I, I can't change the battery in that, I'm afraid. Are you sure it's real? Do you know where you bought it from? She says, yeah, she's quite indignant by this point, quite, quite mad about being questioned. He says, Madam, I can't, I can't do that in a Rolex. She says, she says, give me one good reason why you can't change the battery. Give me one good reason why you think this watch is a fake. He said, Madam, Rolexes don't have batteries. Embarrassing, isn't it, when you buy something maybe and it's not the real deal, it's not legitimate, it's not genuine. It matters if something is the real deal. And I think it's even more important when it comes to following Jesus. We want to be the real deal. We want to be legit. We want to be genuine followers of Jesus. And that's what this series over the next three weeks is about. You see, and it matters. You know, one of the great challenges that skeptics have towards the church is they say, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. And so the way we live does matter. And and it matters. Uh, Being genuine matters because at the core of what we believe is that Jesus rose from the dead, defeating the greatest nemesis of humanity, death itself. And for those who believe in him, uh, the Holy Spirit begins a transformation at the very core of our lives so that the world may hear the message of Jesus, not only from our lips, but displayed in the way that we live. And so being the real deal, being genuine, really matters. And it matters as well because it matters to Jesus. You know, when you look at Matthew's gospel, one of the primary themes of Matthew is hypocrisy. It's something that Jesus called the, Jew, the, the, the Pharisees, the sort of Jewish religious elite, out for time and time and time again. Hypocrisy is a, a word that comes from the Greek that's basically exactly the same, and it means an actor. It means a fake And so with the Pharisees, you had people who did the right stuff, but they did it from completely the wrong motives. And Jesus called them out for it. See, in Jesus' mind, why we do and the way we do is just as important as what we do. We want to be genuine. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to dive into right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus sort of unveils the ethics of his kingdom and and of his followers. And right into the middle as Jesus uh, goes after the Pharisees around their religious practices. And he affirms those practices, but he calls them hypocrites in the way they're doing it and the why they're doing it. And so as we dive into these practices, we get to learn if we were going to do these things, how should we do them? And why should we do them? that we would be genuine followers of Jesus. And we begin with the first of these practices this week as we look at genuine giving. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. I'm going to start reading just four verses with you. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these precious scriptures that you've given to us. We honor them, Lord God, not merely as written by human authors, but with their ultimate author as you. And you've given us these precious scriptures to make us wise for salvation and to equip us for every good work. We want to be genuine followers of Jesus, equipped for every good work. So we pray by your spirit, bring them to light and life in us. Today we pray. We submit ourselves to this word as the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to unpack what does genuine giving look like on the basis of what Jesus is saying here. I want you to notice, first of all, that genuine giving has a when. When you go to verse 2, it says this, so when you give. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say when you feel like it. It says, so when you give. Jesus assumes that one of the characteristics of his people would be those who give to those in need around them. And it shows that this is to be a habit. It's to be a practice. It means that whether we think we got a lot or not, a priority in our personal finances, because the you here is singular, it's talking about every single one of us having a discipline on our personal finances. We would give to those in need around us. It's not about how much you give. It's about being open-handed with everything that God has given you. And you know what? It may be one of the first steps for you this year is, is, is to have a look at where your money is going. And begin to set some new priorities. You know, in a world where there's always a faster car and a bigger house and a better phone, what if we limited what we have so that others who don't have can have? You know, for Jenny and I, this means we work through a budget every single fortnight. We, we talk about it. I prepare it, but, but we talk about it. And we say, where are we going to prioritize our money going? What are we going to give to? Where's that going to go? It means that Jenny does a menu plan. And, and we're... we're we're, we focus on uh, not allowing, just spending whatever we want on groceries, but we, we plan carefully so we don't waste food. We, I go to the market on a Saturday morning. I get up early and go, uh, generally after a morning run, uh, go and, because, because the veggies are cheaper at the market. And so, and so little by little, it's like we're, we're limiting what we could spend on ourselves so that we can be generous with others. And I realize that for some of you, this is going to feel like, wow, like it's just a, another thing on top of financial stress. Can I challenge you? Why not make 2022 the year that you get your personal finances in order? And it might be that you do something like a cap money course. If there's debt involved, reach out to Christians Against Poverty. We partner with them because they're an incredible organization. We're helping people in those situations that as you work your way out of that situation, you might be somebody who can make a priority in their giving, as G- in our finances, as Jesus ha- would have us make. That we would have, that we would make giving, ge- that genuine giving, a habit. The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus says that genuine giving is private. Look at verse two again. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, to be honored by others. They announced it. They made a big song and a dance about it. They made sure that people knew what they were giving. But Jesus says, oh, no, no, that is not the way of my followers. We're not public givers. 
We are private givers. And I don't mean you can't, you know, let a charity know uh, what you're giving so that you can get tax back. You get a third back. That's a no-brainer. You're going to get money back that you can choose to be generous with again. That makes sense. And it's also inevitable that people are going to know from time to time. You know, like you can't find out, you can't deliver a hamper or deliver a voucher or offer to do somebody's shopping or, or find out their bank details to give them a gift unless somebody knows about it. I mean, don't go around secretly trying to find out people's bank details. Like, that's sort of frowned upon. <laughs> Uh, might, you know, not go the right way. The point is not whether people ever know about what you're doing. It's that your primary motivation is not that people would know about it. But the primary motivation would be that you would be a generous person, attentive to the needs of the people around you. And the weird thing is, this privacy thing is at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here. It's a bit of a surprise. The privacy issue seems to be the main issue with what he's saying here. And I want you to see three reasons for, for the why uh, giving is so important that it's private. Number one is relief. The relief of poverty. When the Pharisees announced their gifts, it would so that people would look at the size of their gift and say, wow, you are amazing. Look how righteous you are. But it missed the, the point of giving in the first place, which was to be that there were people who were poor in their community that needed help. And God wanted his people to do something about that in using what God had given them to relieve poverty. So as you flick through scripture, you realize that this has been a theme from beginning to end. You look at the law, it says things like, don't don't go through your fruit trees again and again. Leave some fruit on the trees. When you, when you pick up your harvest, if you drop bits, don't go back and pit it up. The point was that there would be stuff left over that those in need could go and grab for themselves. When you go to Proverbs, it says, stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. When you go to Isaiah, he encourages in Isaiah 58, fast. And when you fast, not only is it about uh, releasing uh, um, people from oppression, but actually with what you don't you can give that food away. When you get to Acts, it shows people selling property so they could give to those in need. It even said of the early church there was no poor among them. It's a theme in the epistles with, with Paul. It's a, it's a priority in his missionary. They gathered funds for, for, to relieve famine. They gathered funds to, to give to churches in need. Like, Are you getting the point again and again and again from beginning to end? Generosity in God's people has been a theme. The poor matter to God. And so they must matter to us. And God has called us in our generation to do something about it. It's why this is a trajectory for us as a church. We want to be known as a, as a church that makes a difference. It, why, it's why uh, things like dinners in the community and hampers at Christmas and partnering with Christians Against Poverty are just the beginning. It's why multi-site, I believe, is really important because it allows us to put ourselves in local communities where we can build relationship, find need, and do something about it. Do you want to be a part of a church like that? Primarily, generosity, the one of the big whys is that, about it being private in our personal lives is that we're not distracted by what people think of us. So our focus is, this is about the relief of poverty. The second uh, R is reward. Verse 4 says this, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing. It's like utmost secrecy, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And you might think, oh, we can just gloss over that. It's not that important. But we're going to look at practices over the next three weeks. And in every single one, this phrase comes up. 
so that your heavenly Father will reward what is done in secret. So we've got to focus on it. We've got to think about what this means. We've got to say, well, what is this reward? Well, the, the contrast is clear in this passage. The Pharisees gave in public so that they would be honored by others. Their reward was honoring by people on earth. It was immediate, and then it was done. Once you've received honor from people, the crowd is fickle. They'll honor somebody else in the next five minutes. It's done. So the reward that God is promising, Jesus is promising here from the Father as we give in secret must be something opposite. It's not from people, it's from the Father. It's not on earth, but it's in heaven. It's not immediately over, it's, it must have some sort of longevity to it. And it's not going to be some token praise from people. God is generous. This same word reward is used in chapter 5 where it talks about a very great reward. So we can assume this is probably some sort of future heavenly reward, new heavens and new earth, storing up treasures in heaven, which is where Jesus goes in the rest of Matthew 6. But I want to just challenge you a little bit and think, well, I think that there's more to it than just some sort of future reward. I think there's something more immediate as well. Track with me. Track with me. Don't get lost. Giving here is set in the context of a number of spiritual disciplines. And the three that Jesus, is fo- Jesus focuses on here are three primary ones for the Jews. But he talks about these practices of righteousness. And so I think he's talking about sort of spiritual disciplines more broadly as well. The things we do as Jesus followers to put ourselves in a place where God can make us more like Jesus. Where he can go to work in our lives and uh, it's the places where God can challenge our flesh and mold us, mold our character to be more like Jesus. I think the reward is something to do with Christ-likeness. And the thing is that these things are going to be uncomfortable. When I, if I give privately, which is what Jesus is talking about here, everything in my flesh wants to go, wants to get the praise from people, you know, wants to, wants to feel that thing of, I've done a good thing. But when we give in private, it's like we give into, the, into emptiness. There's nothing. We're like, oh, what, what's happened? But there's this faith thing that's going on, right? That as we say no to that sort of public, public acclaim and, and self-preservation, it's like the Spirit of God is using that pain, that discomfort, to make us more like Jesus, to mold us, to become more like Jesus. You know, I wonder what spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices you're going to be going about this year. Those places where you're going to put yourself in a moment where the Spirit of God can challenge your flesh. There's a whole broad range, but I want to challenge you that one of the personal disciplines we are to adopt consistently is that we would be generous. And in the discomfort of what we give privately, that God would go to work and we would be rewarded by a more Christ-like character. The third thing, you know, I've given them R's, start of the year, you know, thought we'd stick with some R's, relief, reward. And the final one I want you to see, the sort of why around private giving is that we would be a reflection of his righteousness. These habits uh, are practices of righteousness. There is only one who is truly righteous. And so these practices in some ways are a reflection of the one who is righteous. When the Pharisees gave publicly, the, the point was to draw attention to themselves. But as we give privately in this righteous way that is a reflection of the righteous one, it's like we begin not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to the one who's righteous. 
Our giving is a reflection of what God is like. We give the world a glimpse of God who is generous. There isn't a definition of the generosity of God in this passage. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 8 to do that for me. And in, uh, in this context, Paul is challenging the, the church to grow in generosity. And he couches it and he sets it in the framework of because Jesus is generous. But see just how generous. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the free gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who is infinitely wealthy, took on the poverty of humanity so that we in our desperation and separation from God might become rich. I want you to see that this is, this is not just like ordinary, everyday generosity. I want you to see this is a bit offensive. You know, imagine that you're going down Courtney Place. You see a guy turn up in a Ferrari, right? And he pulls up beside a homeless man, destitute, absolutely nothing. And this guy in the Ferrari hands the keys over. He says, can we swap clothes? And he puts the nice clothes on the homeless man, puts him in his Ferrari. He says, as you drive off, I want you to know you're going to my home. My batch is yours. My boat is yours. My investments are yours. My pension is yours. My inheritance is yours. Every ounce of wealth I ever had is now yours, and I'm going to sit in your place. If somebody did that, you would say, that's outrageous. That's stupid. That's so irresponsible. There's something about that level of generosity that is offensive. We, we get it when people give out of their surplus. When they take the cream off the top and they're like, I'll give that away. But when somebody swaps places and becomes poor in the place of the rich, we feel that is offensive. But when, when you begin to understand that level of discomfort, you're beginning to glimpse what the generosity of Jesus looks like. Because it's at the heart of the gospel message that Jesus Christ in, in eternity, as the almighty God comes and hangs on a human cross to pay the price for your and my sin so that we could get an inheritance, an eternal life that is inherently his and he would face death on our behalf. And when you and I give, when you and I stretch ourselves, when you and I sacrifice and limit what we spend so that we might be generous with those in need, we begin to give the world a glimpse just a glimpse of the infinite, measureless, outrageous and offensive message of Jesus. I want you to imagine what our communities would look like if every single one of us individually and this whole church corporately said we're going to limit what we have and we're going to give. And we're going to say no to this, the desires of the world that say it, it's about what you buy, it's about what you borrow so you can get more, it's about having bigger, faster, better. Like the world disciples us by desire, but what if we said no? We said we want to be generous like Jesus is generous. What would that do for families? What would that do for relationships? What would that do for our communities? What would that do for poverty? What would that do for addiction? What would that do for crime? What would that do for education? Just imagine what would happen if, if we went about this as a church relentlessly. And that, that we as God is making us more like Jesus would give the world a greater and greater and greater glimpse.
of what he is like. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Don't you want to be the real deal? Don't you want to be genuine? Don't you want to step into this? I want to give you three ways I think we can step into this. The first thing is you cannot give out of what you have not received. And I want you to know, first and foremost, if you're somebody who's never believed in Jesus, you've never even heard of him, maybe this is the first articulation you've ever heard that God sent his one and only son to die in your place, became poor so that you might become rich. If this is the first time you've ever heard that message, forget money for now. This is about something way more important. My prayer for you today is that you'd begin a conversation with God today where you say, I, I received this outrageous gift of forgiveness and new life and healing and wholeness and invite the power of God in my life to change me from the inside out. I want to make a decision today to follow Jesus. That's the first step you need to take. I want to pray for you in just a moment. But, if, but for all of us, I want you to take a moment and think, what's your next step? Is it getting your finances in order? Is it, is it looking at where your priorities are and saying, no, no, I'm going to make generosity a priority in my life this year? It might mean you need some conversations with a spouse or a partner or a family member or whatever like that. Have those conversations. Let's take these steps. Maybe the third thing is you want to begin to walk and pray through your neighborhood. Say, Lord God, how would you open my eyes to the needs all around me? And would you build, enable me to have relationships with people in my world that you would use what I, you have given me, that I would be generous and that through what I do, the world would get a glimpse of what you are like. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way your word challenges us. And I pray that by your spirit that you would you would bring to life this word in us that tomorrow would be different because of today. We pray that you would do something so wonderful in our city through your people as we begin to discipline ourselves to reflect and as you empower us to reflect your generosity. And Lord, as we ponder your generosity right now to us, we turn our attention to you and we want to say thank you. So we begin... In song, we begin in worship as we bring you honor and glory for what you have done for us. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.